All right, so we're going to get started here. Um, so this is, uh, well, I'm David. You guys know me. This is uh, Elijah Elliott, one of our leaders. Yep. So, uh, yeah, Elijah Elliott, um, wh when, did we, when did we meet? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, well I know that like, we met tonight and hung out, but I mean, like, when did, when, did it, when did I do the interview where I, like, got to know you and kind of heard your story? That would have been, this, it was for China. Yeah, so it, been, it was like not even that long ago. Yeah, it feels like we've known each other forever, but wow. Okay, so anyway, um, here's, here's why I brought Elijah up. I want to give you guys an opportunity to hear um, his story. I, I think he's going to be able to speak to some of these things in a way that I won't be able to speak to. Um, but also, man, like there's a ton of people in Salt Company who um, find themselves uh, not in kind of a normal heterosexual orientation. There's a ton of people in Salt Company who have just a lot of, a different experience of sexuality, the kind of, kind of the, um, the traditional majority experience of that, right? And so um, I, I want a lot to talk about that, but actually the reason he's up here isn't it just like, like the token person we're gonna put up here. It's actually because Elijah is um, someone who loves Jesus like crazy. And I remember sitting in that interview with him and I was just being like, holy cow, like the way you're talking about Jesus is awesome and compelling and makes me wanna follow him more. Um, and so I'm excited for you guys to get to hear from him. Um, we're gonna kind of go back and forth a little bit here on, on some of these questions that I have for him. But before we jump into that, I just want to um, basically start off tonight by giving kind of three um, truths that we have. When we're thinking about this, this question of what does it mean for people who um, don't find themselves experiencing the world through kind of a heterosexual orientation of sexuality, right? Um, for people who don't, they're not, that's not the way they experience the world, or people who uh, they don't view themselves in like a cisgendered way, right? They're, there's something about the way they experience the world that doesn't fit into those kind of normal, um, majority, traditional categories, okay? What does it mean for people like that to follow Jesus? What does it mean for you if you're in the room and you find yourself on that spectrum? What does it mean for you to follow Jesus? Okay, well, I want to just really quickly, three things that are truths in Scripture that I think are going to kind of orient our conversation tonight that I want to start with, and then we'll jump in. The first truth is this, okay? Um, the world that we see today uh, is not the way the world once was, okay? There's different Scriptures for that that we could talk about. We could talk about Genesis 1 to 3, Romans 1, Ephesians 2, but basically the idea is this. There's a time in our history where the world was very different than the way it is today, there's a time in the world where the world was right and where all of us were right and whole, and that's not the way we live in the world today, right? The Bible would talk about sin as something that's entered into the human story, um, and it would say that it's fundamentally changed the way that the world works. And actually, specifically, it's fundamentally changed the way that we as humans work, right? Every single person in the room, we are all in that place. So sin has altered our humanity in many ways, right? We were made to dwell in the presence of God, um, we don't anymore, right? Like we were kicked out of the garden. And so that's one big change. But the Bible actually says that sin has changed who we naturally are. It means our desires, our motivations, our orientations, and our thoughts are actually experienced in different ways than they were supposed to be experienced, right? Sin has changed the way we experience money and possessions. It's changed the way that we experience friendships. It's changed the way that we desire power or status. Or it's actually changed the way we use power and status when we have it. Um, it hasn't just affected us on the surface, but it's affected us deep down to the place of our hearts and our minds. And so what that means is that sin has affected something even so deep and central as our sexuality. Um, here's one thing that is really important that we understand. Uh, sin has affected this part of us, our sexuality, everyone. 
it's been affected, right? Um, so this means people who experience their sexuality like in a kind of traditional cisgendered heterosexual way, it means that they're not actually experiencing a normal version of sexuality. No, no even though they represent the majority of how humans experience sexuality, um, they aren't experiencing the world as it was supposed to be. Um, there's tons of examples of this, right? Women are raped by men. That is broken and horrible, right? Men's bodies are objectified by women. That's not the way the world is supposed to be. So even people who find themselves sitting in the majority of culture, right? People who are born female, who feel female, and, and who have like some kind of desire for males of the opposite sex, or like right, vice versa, it means that people in that group, they actually have a broken experience of sexuality, right? The majority, like all of it is broken. And so if you're in the majority, it means that you have desires that if you follow them, those will harm you. It means that if you're even in the majority, it means you have things about the way you view men that are wrong, right? If you're heterosexual, you, you view men in a wrong way and you view women in a wrong way. And so this is true of all of us, right? So it doesn't matter if you're heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, pansexual, or Whatever word you would use to describe your experience of your sexuality, what the Bible would say is that there's something in that that is disordered and broken, and something in that that Jesus would want to come and bring some correction to. Um, so that's the first thing, which means that no matter where we're on the spectrum in this room and the way we experience our sexuality, we're all in the same place of being people who are under sin and need Jesus to lead us back to what it means to be truly human, okay? So that's truth one. Truth two is that that's what Jesus came to do. That's why God broke into our world was actually not to just kind of, right, give fences and these things Mark talked about, but actually to lead us back to true human flourishing, to teach us how to be truly human again. Um, the Bible talks about humanity in a state of darkness, and then it describes Jesus as the light of the world. It describes the Bible as like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so it means that we actually, as humans in this fallen state, we need to actually have guidance. We need God to break into our life and give us wisdom and show us what it means to be truly human. Um, one of the things I've talked about in the past is that being a human in this world of sin and death is basically like someone who's lost in the woods and has a compass. Okay, so you have a compass, but the problem is that the compass is broken and it doesn't always point north, okay? So that means that sometimes our radar, right, our intuition, our conscience, sometimes that's going to lead us to that which is good. And there's going to be other times where it's not going to lead us to what's good, but we still think it's pointing north, right? So it's this compass that points north and sometimes it's really north, but sometimes it points north and you're not actually headed north, right? That's what it means to be in this world of sin and darkness. Proverbs says that there's a way that seems good to man, but it leads to death. And so Jesus comes basically to lead us back to what true human flourishing is. So that's truth two, here's truth three. The Bible presents us with pathways, rules, commands on how we are to express ourselves sexually. Why does the Bible do this? Um, well, it does this because one of the things that's disordered in all of us is our sexuality. And, and when you come to follow Jesus, this is one of the things he's gonna talk to you about. And he's gonna talk to every one of us about that in a different way, right? There's tons of different things in the Bible. It talks about tons, to tons of different people in different kinds of categories of what it means to, experience, to express their sexuality in a way that's gonna lead them to what is good and what is holy and lead them back to the Garden of Eden, not further away from it. Um, so here's the, the conversation, right? 
What does it mean to follow Jesus when your experience of your sexuality would put you somewhere onto the LGBTQIA spectrum? The Bible has lots to say about what it means to follow Jesus when you are in the majority, right, of sexual experience. But the question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus when you aren't in that majority, but you're in the minority? Um, here's why I want to talk about this, okay? And we were talking about this before, <laughs> hand over there. The, one of the reasons I want to talk about this as a group, and I'm really glad there's a ton of you here, is because this was like the number one thing that caused doubt in a lot of your hearts when we did the panel on doubt, right? This is one of the things in culture that we say, man, the church's view on homosexuality, the church's view on LGBTQIA issues, like there's something about that that is discomforting to me and something about that that I need answers to because this actually makes me, uh, makes it hard for me to follow Jesus. So that's one of the reasons I want to talk about it. Um, the other reason is because uh, Jesus came really specifically for people in the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, I don't just mean that like, hey, you're, you're in this mess of humanity with us and Jesus came for humans. I mean like Jesus came specifically for people that experienced life like you. Jesus, when he came on the scene, he didn't go and hang out with the people who were in kind of the normal majority of the world. No, he came to people who were the minorities. He came to people who had been outcast and marginalized because of something about them that didn't fit with the rest of all of culture. And so the reason I want to talk about this is because Jesus uniquely came, and if he was here today, I think that some of the people he'd hang out with most would be people who would identify as lesbians or trans, right? I think that he would hang out with people like that. And so I think that if Salt Company is a place where you come and you identify as that, and you feel like that's kind of something central to me, and you feel like you're not welcome here, I feel like there's something wrong with the way we're talking about these things. And so. Um, I have a lot more I can say, but I, I, I want to um, let Elijah talk to you guys. And so, um, the reason Elijah's here is because when I sat down with Elijah, I heard him articulate very clearly what does it look like to follow Jesus as someone who experiences their sexuality in a different way than I do. Um, and so, before we jump into that, I want to just like quick hit some biographical details of your life, Elijah, so that people can get to know you. Where are you from, man? Um, so, I'm from South Central Iowa, New Virginia, Iowa. Um, New Virginia? New Virginia, yes. Not to be confused with Virginia, West yes, Virginia. Yes, that's good. Yeah, don't confuse it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, real quick, how, how long have you been following Jesus? Um, so, I've been following Jesus since my senior year of high school. Um, then, so I'd say, what, two years probably. Um, but, you know, uh, off and on for about a year, but like fully, fully like diving in probably like a year, year and a half, so. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. So um, real quick, what is one of the things you feel like that you would just say, man, in like two sentences, this has been the sweetest thing about coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? <laughs> okay, two sentences. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Um, two sentences. The sweetest thing coming to Christ is knowing that ultimately God holds my victory and he's a gracious God and that no matter what I do, he will be faithful to me and it's his strength that is drawing me on, not my own, so. Cool, um, okay, so I want to, I want to, um, I want to move into basically allow you to tell your story a little bit and so um, maybe this will help. Uh, when, when was the first time, Elijah, that you like, were going through life and you started to realize that, man, the way 
the way you're experiencing sexuality is a little bit different than some of the people around you? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, probably, probably middle school, I'd say. I, I um, was going around and like, you know, um, you know, I, I saw girls, I was like, oh yeah, she's cute. But then like, also like, I was like, wait, like, hmm, what, that guy over there, like, I don't know what this feeling is and this is weird. And, and then I'm like, so I started like, kind of realizing that my sexuality was different from from like my buddies, you know, then when all they were kind of focusing on was just girls. I was like, well, you know, I don't know how I feel about this. Maybe maybe both sexes are attracted to me and and maybe I ha I have an attraction for both sexes. And so I kind of I kind of um yeah, so I'd say probably middle school, probably 13, 12, 13, yeah. Yeah. So can you um I know I'm putting you on the spot. And by the way, guys, I I had like a lot more stuff I was gonna write and then I was like, this is dumb. I'm just gonna let Elijah talk because he's gonna do a way better job with this. And so I actually asked him to come in today. I was like, hey, what do, how would you feel about doing this? And he was like... 6.30. Yeah, 6.30. <laughs> so, uh, you know, good planning there. Anyway, um, but you're doing a great job. So here, here's, and I, I want, I'm gonna kind of put you on the spot a little bit, but I, I want you to, could you, in like a couple minutes, just walk through like, what has that been like for you to be someone who is, has friendships, has relationships with people who they're experiencing their sexuality in like the, the majority way. And, and you're, you're experiencing it in a different way. And uh, could you just walk us through like, what was hard about that growing up? And what are some of the things that have been really hard about that? Even just like coming up before, before coming to know Jesus, just kind of trying to figure out who am I? How do I experience the world? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest, I don't know, like maybe struggles was having these friendships with people that experienced, you know, their sexuality in like a more heterosexual way, a more traditional way, was I felt marginalized, right? You know, I felt, I felt different. There was a sense of otherness there. You know, I, um, when you, when, when I was growing up, you know, like I couldn't quite connect with everybody because I was like something about me, something deeper than just surface level is fundamentally different. You know, like something about me, you know, it made me feel like I was different from them. I wasn't quite part of the group. Um, and so it, it created like this um, environment of isolation, uh, either being self-induced isolation because I didn't feel the same or like legitimate isolation if I wanted to talk to somebody about that. They didn't know quite how to respond or they saw it as, um, you know, I was, I was so different from them that we weren't compatible in friendship, that we weren't compatible in community. So community and, and friendship was really hard for me. I, I was an introvert, I was a, I was a loner a lot through you know, middle school, mid, uh, through high school. I, I mean, I, I eventually found community, but yeah, it was, it was um, just, just kind of connecting with them on a level when you felt, when I felt, you know, like I was different from them in a really deep way, so. So give us, um just a, a, yeah, walk us through the, the point of coming to know Jesus Christ. And dude, what's like, what has it been like coming to know him as savior? 
Yeah, so when I came to know Christ, I was overjoyed. I was, you know, I was, um, I don't know, like I, I felt, I felt like, you know, someone loved me regardless of everything I, I am and I, what I'm not, you know. God loved me for what I was. Um, and so I came to him, I came to Christ, and it, but, uh, you know, you started to feel that, you had that initial, you know, like that initial, like, yes, Christ loves me, but then it got really hard, all right? You know, kind of uh, walking this idea of, you know, like, here I am, here I am sexually, you know, here, but here is where the word, you know, the scripture talks about it. And for a while, you know, when I first came to Christ, there was a big disconnect there. Like, I didn't know what that meant, you know, for my relationship, and I didn't know how God viewed me on that point. And there was a lot of ambiguity on or in my relationship with Christ when it came to that. I mean, other things were fine, but that was the thing I don't feel I didn't feel like I could touch. You know, it was it was the locked door, you know. There's my pride, my anger, my, my this, but there's sexuality. I'm not going to touch that yet, God. And so that's, that's kind of how it was when I first came to Christ. Um, after like that kind of like acceptance wore off. So it was, it was a hard, it was a hard thing to kind of navigate. Yeah. How, uh, how have you been navigating that and thinking about that as you're coming to walk with Jesus further down the road? You know him more. You know him more personally. He's speaking to you more. How has how that conversation about sexuality been going with you and Jesus? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in prayer throughout my life of, you know, God, like, this, this thing, this sexuality that I am, well, God... I want you to make me heterosexual, please. Like, like this isn't, if this is wrong, you know, like, you know, like make me this. And, you know, that's how I spend a lot of time. And, um, and I mean, you know, some people, some people, um, like God displays his glory. And yeah, they, they seem to, uh, their, their sexuality seems to shift. That hasn't been the case for me. However, I think I found something in my relationship with Christ, a lot more beautiful than that. I think God has showed me that heterosexuality is not the answer to to this to this identity issue. Uh, we, He showed me that rather than thinking about you know you have to be heterosexual to to uh, be in relationship with me to fully gain my love and acceptance, He's like, no, I love you for your for this part of you, and I've loved you for every other part of you, all right? And, and so more so, it's been, as I've, grown to, as I've grown in my relationship with God, I've said, it's been a kind of like this, God, bring me into your, your life with obedience, and bring me into your life, with, or into the full with joy, that I might walk with you in joy and in gladness. And um, it's become less about, you know, reconforming my sexuality and more about conforming my heart to what Christ wants for me. And whatever that may be, regardless of if my sexuality changes or not, you know, which is, not, is never the goal. It's, it's more of a, my, my relationship with him is, is paramount and everything else will follow.
that's why I had him come. He's great. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay, so one of the one of the questions I have is this. Okay, so you where there's a spectrum, right? And everyone's people people are going to be somewhere, and and you're kind of in this place where you're like, man, I I feel I feel attraction for women. I also feel attraction for men. And there's this like there's this ambiguity that you feel when you look out in the world and you experience relationships with people and. What, what do you say, so in your situation, right, there seems to be, like you've been praying, and you're like, hey God, would you, like, would you make me heterosexual? And he's like, well, no, or at least not yet, right, for sure. And I think that the, I love the way you're talking about that and thinking about that, and I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, because I think that you can, you can in some ways, like, answer this question better than I can, or at least, like, be understanding of this question more, more than I'm going to be able to. But like, what do you? What would you say to someone who, the possibility for them of like, because you're in this middle ground of like, well, I, I am attracted to women, and so theoretically, you could find a woman, fall in love with them, and have this awesome lifelong union marriage. But wh what do you say to someone who's in the room and who's like, even like looks at your story and you're like, well, dude, I don't even have that. Like, I'm I'm male and I have zero zero attraction. Like there's no heterosexuality in me at all. Like I just I don't feel anything towards the opposite sex, and my passions are for people of my same sex. And they look at the Bible, and it feels like romantic relationships seem like they're completely off the table for them. Sex seems to be completely off the table for them. Marriage seems to be off the table for them. If they want to follow Jesus and take this book seriously, that's that's kind of what they feel like following Jesus means for them, how, how do you talk to someone like that? How, like what, does that person have hope? Is Christianity a place for them? Is Jesus someone they should follow? Or is this just like too hard? Like how do, how do you speak to someone in that place? Yeah, um, so thinking about that, I think we kind of have to assess where our joy ultimately comes from, you know, where we're drawing our ultimate, like, you know, joy and contentedness from. And I think what God wants to point us to is that regardless of our relationship, uh, romantic, you know, sexual relationships, that's not where we should pull our joy from. And that's not where we should um, ultimately put stock in for living fulfilling life. All right. Uh, no, our fulfillment and our identity is Christ, and so I think, I think when we when we approach this, like, man, I I don't have any attraction for you know uh, you know for guys, or I don't have any attraction for girls, or whatever it be. Um, you know, the, the thing is, is we have to we kind of have to like think about that. Is that really what we want? Ultimately, is that really what God wants for us? And and I think the answer is absolutely no. The, I mean, the the answer of what God wants for us is relationship. You know, like um, I think. I mean, like I. I mean, that's at least what I come to is. You know, God wants relationship with us, and that is the relationship that we need to strive for before all others. And um, also, I think. When we, when we talk about relationships, there's a lot of different relationships with inside our lives, right? We have, we have um, that all bring fulfillment, 
we have fulfillment from our, our, our friends and our family, you know. Um, we have from fulfillment from our colleagues. You know, there's a lot of joy and happiness and love. We gather from those things, too. So I think <laughs> the, the case of the, of the person that has absolutely no attraction to, to, the, to the opposite sex, I think, you know, actually you have a lot more hope in your life than you might be recognizing right now. You have the, you have the absolute, you have the God of the universe, the creator of the universe who loves you more, more than your partner could ever love you. All right, more than uh, the God of the universe wants to bring you fulfillment, more than that relationship could ever fulfill you. All right, and he and I think, I think that's what we, uh, what I would, I don't know what I, I mean. Guess what I would say is, I I would think that let's turn back to Jesus, turn back to what He wants to give us. And then, and then see where our hearts are, you know? And I think what we're gonna find, actually, I know what we're going to find, is a heart that is content and filled with joy from, you know, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, so. Um, okay, so I have a couple more questions, and then we're going to um, open it up to you guys to kind of ask some questions and kind of lead this discussion for us at the time. Um, one question I have is this. Uh, I think that whenever you have a large group of people, um, the, the people who are uh, in the majority, they need people um, to come and help them see things they don't see. And uh, so... I want you to help us see some things that we don't see well. And so one of the questions I have is this. Um, what are one or two things that, um, as someone who cares about the LGBTQIA community, um, someone who wants desperately to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who have sexuality in that, in, in that sphere, what are some things about Salt Company and, and maybe just the culture of us Christians here that, that should change. Yeah, so um, I think when we talk about, you know, the majority and the minority, there is an implied us and them. And, and so, <laughs> but honestly, we are all family, right? We are family in Christ, and so it is only us, right? You know, there is no them, it's just us. And so what I think, when we approach, when someone who, you know, if you're not part of the LGBTQ community, is you can approach people with that kind, with, with um, you know, that wiring, people like me, you know, we are, we're normal people, and we, and we, um, you know, we, we hike, we fish, we kayak, we do all those things, and, um, I really like to hike, and so um, we do all of those things. And so you can approach people without having to step, you know, feel like you have to step on eggshells. And you can approach them with the same love and compassion that you approach, you know, the person next to you. Um, so I think that's number one. You know, just remembering that there, there is only us, there is no them. And then I think two is realizing that 
you both have a lot to learn from each other. You know, we, I think both groups have a lot to learn from how the other kind of conducts, you know, their lives or the way that they think. And I think that is kind of like this beauty of like this, of our very diverse family in Christ, especially here in like Iowa City. Like, you know, you look out to the crowd and there's massive diversity here. And, and, this, and this is just one more, you know, kind of a part of that puzzle. And I think when we, when we pull down those barriers of, um, you know, like I am on the right side, you are on the wrong side, you know, we have so much to learn. I, I think like um, I was talking to David about this when I was in prayer a while back. I, this thought kind of hit me and it was like, it was like, God, thank you for actually taking me through this fire. Like, thank you for like giving me this perspective because I know that this perspective will ultimately bring glory to your kingdom, not because of me, but because of you. And you're going to take that perspective and mold it for my good and your glory. And, and so I think when we realize that our perspectives are different, but we have so much to learn, it, it ultimately, you know, so basically two, point, two sides of the same point, but like um, just approach with a sense of we are all in this together. We are all, wow, wow. Um, <laughs> uh, that this is just us and that we have so much to learn and that Christ's blood covers all of us. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's, let's do this. Um, we're, we got one microphone. Mikey's got it back there. Um, I want to let you guys just, what, what, what questions do you guys want answered? What, what direction do you want this conversation to go tonight? Um, we're having this as a family because we're, we're trying to figure out this. And so if you have a question, just raise your hand, and we'll try to get the mic over to you. And then what we'll do is we'll have, you, we'll have you ask your question, and then actually right after you ask it, you'll hand the mic off, and we'll try to get it to the next person to kind of queue up the next question. So uh, what do you want us to talk about? What's the question? Um, I guess I just want to really get to the core of things. Um, my question is, why is the practice of homosexuality, not the state of being, the practice of homosexuality, bleh, sorry, homosexuality, why is that um, sinful? I defer that one to you. You probably know this. <laughs> um, so I would say this: there are, there's two different ways to try to answer this question, right? One is big, broad strokes in the Bible, asking questions like, um, "What does male femaleness mean?" Asking questions like, um, "Sex is a, a thing that humans do with one another," and asking questions like, "Does the Bible talk about sex and and give us fences, right, for that thing, right?" Does it do that? And so if we just look really, really broad strokes, the answer is yes, male and femaleness is something that is presented as actually really fundamental categories. Like it's introduced in the very first page of the Bible, right? It's what, what, what does it mean to be human? Well, it means that you're made in the image of God. This is Genesis 1:27. You're made in the image of God. What does that mean? But you're, you're made in the image of God, male and female, he created them. And so there seems to be built into this idea of like, what does it mean to represent the image of God? Maleness and femaleness seems to be something that is woven into the fabric of humanity that has to do with the way we're designed and created. And so if you would just say, for, for me, I, I would say that being born biologically a male 
that, I think that God means for that to say something about how you're supposed to live your life. Because I think that part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that you're, you're uniquely designed, not just as a human, but you uniquely designed male, you uniquely designed female. So that's, the, that's kind of where we start. And then it says, this is actually why, you know, a man is gonna leave his father and mother. He's gonna hold fast to his wife and be married, right? And so the beginning it defines marriage as between a man and a woman in the very beginning of the Bible. Then when you go all the way to the New Testament, it talks about marriage again, okay? And Jesus talks about marriage. And when Jesus talks about marriage, he defines it very narrowly. And he says, it, it, this is, he goes back and he quotes at the beginning, right? And he says, think about what marriage is. I'll go all the way back to Genesis. That's what marriage is between a male and a female. That, that's what marriage is supposed to be. So the Bible defines marriage very narrowly. Um, and we just have to, we have to come to terms with that. We have to come to grips with that and say, that is what the Bible does consistently over and over and over again. It says, what is marriage? Marriage is a union of a man and a woman that's supposed to be one man, one woman forever. That's, that's what the Bible says is this is what marriage is supposed to be. But then when the Bible talks about sex, it talks about very clearly over and over and over and over again. It says that sex is supposed to be something that happens inside a marriage union. Right, so when you're, we're talking about homosexuality, right, is the question you ask. You're saying, what about homosexuality as like a, an orientation, like someone who's, someone has a gay orientation, like they, they are biologically male and they have attraction for men, not women. Well, I, I would say, yes, that's an orientation. And the Bible actually, it doesn't talk about orientation. Like it just doesn't, it's not, it's not a category in the Bible, this idea of, of orientation. It doesn't talk about what do you do in that situation. It just talks about action. And it says, should a man lie with a man like with a woman? And the Bible actually consistently, from Genesis all the way to Leviticus, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all the way in Paul's epistles, and all the way to the very end of Revelation, it actually consistently says no. That for a man to lie with a man in the way that he would lie with a woman, right? That would actually be something that would lead away from human flourishing, not towards it. And so that would be broad strokes. Now you can go and look at specific texts. You can look at Genesis 1.27, like I said, you can look at Leviticus 18. You can go in the New Testament, look at very specifically in Matthew where Jesus talks about marriage and redefines it. You can look at Paul talking about homosexuality in Romans 1. You can go to 1 Corinthians. Um, I forget the reference, but you can look at 1 Corinthians and you can look at it there. And you can also go to the very end of Revelation where it's gonna talk about it. And so consistently through the whole Bible, um, that, that's what it's, it says, one consistent thing. And so did that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. I have the next question. Sorry, I didn't use a microphone. Um, so I have multiple friends that are on the spectrum of like LGBTQ, and um, I they are they have often confided in me. In um, and one of the questions that one of my friends have asked me is like, Bailey, am I going to hell? Like, and that's just a question that um, yeah, like. And I just was wondering from your perspective, Elijah, like how do I show them the most love in that situation? And how do I make my friends feel not like a them and more like an us and we're all in this together. And just because you're on that spectrum does not mean you're any more condemned to hell as I am for my sin. Yeah, um, that, yeah, that's a, that's a hard question. Um, but, and that's a hard thing to do, to make somebody feel, you know, um, you know, loved 
when, when, when they're dealing with something that, you know, can make them feel very unloved by a lot of people. And I think it's, it's, it's hard because you have to be clear on what the Bible says. You can't mince words on it. But also, we know this, that God has brought some you know, people that felt very unloved in some very hard places to him, all right? And so I think when, when you approach it, or when they come to you and they say, um, you know, am I, am I going to hell? I mean, you can tell them what the Bible says, that, you know, Yes, like this is, this is sinful activity. But you can also tell them what the Bible says and say, but grace covers that. And Jesus loves you more intimately than you could ever know. And he knows who you are, right? He knows that deeply about you. He's looked into you so like, deeper than anybody else could. And he loves you even yet. So like he, he sees that part of you. You know, he sees, you know, that, that part where yeah, like that, um, the Bible says this might be an issue, and he sees that issue that you're dealing with, that sin. He loves you despite of it. And, you know, and he loves you, and he's, and he's going he's gonna to carry that love forever, you know. So it's, I think, I think it's, it's about reassuring that Christ does love, God does love, and that he is motivated out of love. Lots of times we can think about God being a man on the judgment seat, right? And we can say, you know, oh, yeah, well, God, you know, thanks. You know, you put us here and I sin and you're going to judge me. But no, God like acts out of love always. God is love. And so he has to act out of love, right? And so um, you can assure, you can assure them of that. And also... I think pray for them because your words, no matter how, I'm sure how eloquent you can be or how uh, persuasive you can be, you know, the spirit will do work there that you could never possibly hope to do and that none of us could possibly hope to do. But you can, you know, pray, pray on their behalf and, you know, like ask that God shows them love because he wants to show them love. It's not like a, it's not a persuasion. God wants to lavish us all with love and he'll do it. So just, I don't know, pray about it, you know, assure them of what the Bible says. Don't mince your, don't mince your words when they ask you that question because you can't, it's not fair to them. But I think, but reassure them that also God loves them. Um. Uh, while Veritas and SALT both are very accepting of many people, um, there's a lot of Christian organizations and churches that are not. And I know I've experienced this. I know a lot of people in the Ligabit community have experienced this. How do you deal with people, or have you had to, and if so, how have you dealt with people telling you negative things because of your sexuality, because of your identities? Okay, so... Um, I want to make sure, are you, it's sometimes like the feedback up here, I'm not sure if I could hear it clearly. Are you like kind of talking about, um, can, uh, can you just repeat that one time? <laughs> so while here at Veritas, here at SALT, um, they're very accepting. Um, certain Christian organizations, certain churches are far less accepting. So have you had to deal with negative, negativity because of your sexuality, because of your identities? And if so, how do you deal with that? Okay, I heard it better that time. Um, so, yeah, that, um, 
Yeah, so the thing is, is you're always going to run into people that display, you know, judgment and hate and don't act in a Christ-like way while claiming to be ambassadors of Christ. And, you know, maybe they are, but maybe it was just, you know, a, a sinful moment or something like that. But the way that I, I don't know, I think I go about it is sometimes I just have to, like, take a step back and realize that I'm loved by the source of love and and that regardless of what they think are they you know uh, I know some Christians think you know if you are in essence you know on the LGBT com community you've uh, you <laughs> pray yeah go Let's ahead pray. yeah yeah do it. okay <laughs> all right um god um yeah, so we're talking about this tonight, and um, I just want to thank you for allowing us to give us this uh, this time to talk about this uh, openly and freely and ask questions, and I think that this uh, just shows your love is on display here tonight, and so, um, you know, it's 10.02, so I, I pray that that love is taken to to the ends of this earth and that we will be your ambassadors of that same love that reaches the heart of all of, you know, of everyone that accepts it, that transforms us and makes us want to walk in obedience, joyfully in obedience, God. So I, I, um, I just thank, thank you and raise up the laborers for the harvest field. And uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so to get back to your question. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, when you come up against that, you know, uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, to right, love your love your enemies, right, and like yeah, pray yeah, for your enemies. Yeah, or, yeah. And I mean, they're not necessarily they're not necessarily enemies, but I think like, you know, pray pray for them that their hearts will be you know softened, and that they can understand that the the people that have you know disordered sexualities fall under the same grace that they fall under, and that. Um, it's not really our place to like dive headfirst into that sometimes, you know, or like it may be like it's or it may not be advantageous. So I like lots of times I step back and I and I try to assess where that's coming from. I pray for them. I, I try to talk. And as far as like big institutionalized like schools of thought, you know, against you know um, the LGBTQ inside the church. That's something that's gonna take a lot of time to change, but we can all do a small part and in prayer and in um, communication, you know, in conversation and opening up that dialogue, you know, so. Real, real quick, Elijah, what's the difference between, because um, there's, there's a question that's, that's out there right now in the church, and the question is like, what does it mean to be accepting, right? Because you're saying, hey, Veritas Church and Salt is, a, is an accepting place for, for people on this, in this experience of sexuality. And I would just say for you, like, so well, let me say this. So yes, yes. The answer to that question is, is this a place that's accepting of those people for sure? Is it a place that, I mean, like, you're, dude, you're a salt company leader. It's like, it, this is us, right? The question I think becomes difficult when it means, what does it mean to accept someone, right? And so I think one of the things in culture, there's this idea that to accept someone means to wholesale um, affirm all of their choices in life, right? And so me and Elijah, like we, we would have a very different like 
conversation, right? If he was like, hey, this is the way I view my sexuality, and because I view this so deep down inside of me, I actually feel a freedom to view a guy, have an attraction for them, and then pursue that in a romantic way, right? There, there, there would be something where all of a sudden I would go from be like, well, I, did I accept you? But I actually, I don't think you should do that as a follower of Jesus. And I, I would push back on that. And so I think that, that that would be the only thing I would say is like that word accepting, I think it means different things to different people. And so I would say, yes, we are. But are, are we a place where we're saying, actually, you can, you can basically embrace a homosexual lifestyle and follow Jesus? I would say those seem to be incompatible things biblically. And so can you be someone who is on that spectrum and be a committed follower of Jesus? Yes, absolutely, like Elijah is, right? And so, but the difference is he's put his life and even his sexual orientation under the lordship of Jesus and is saying, Jesus, I wanna follow you and you dictate to me how I'm supposed to live my life. And so I would just say like, Jesus has accepted him in this radical way, but Jesus has also said, now walk with me and let me show you what it means for you to be human. And I, and I think that's a real big difference. That's the way Jesus accepts people. It isn't just wholesale acceptance, stay as you are. It's acceptance and it's, now let me teach you what's gonna actually bring you joy in life. So here's the thing, we're gonna keep actually asking, answering questions. And so if you're like, I gotta go and get the heck out of here, it's late. That's totally fine. You guys can leave. People aren't going to judge you. Don't worry. Um, but if you want to keep asking questions, just, we're just going to keep going for a little while because I think this is important. So. Hey, Elijah. <laughs> hey, Elijah. Uh, I just want to touch on something you said earlier. Um, you kind of mentioned how uh, people who see themselves on the spectrum um, really can pursue happiness in the relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that, especially as like a guy leader, and I've talked to a lot of guys in my connection group and even fellow leaders, um, the sin struggle with guys and just heterosexual guys and our sexuality is always very kind of clear cut. It's usually these desires outside of marriage or in these, these just desires driven by lust, but are something that we have something to look forward to as in the sense of like marriage. And that's kind of a very um, typical way to respond to that. But it becomes different when we're talking to people, um, maybe just in our regular lives, but maybe in the context of a connection group where they see themselves on the spectrum and they still have these, uh, these sin battles. And I guess my question is, is how does it, or does it look any different um, between these desires that just regular people have um, as guys? And we can, it's very easy for me, a heterosexual guy, to approach it and just say, oh, to another, another guy who's straight and try and approach that, um, does it look any different to fight that sin not being into that, that cookie cutter shape? Um, is that struggle any different? Yeah. Um, so I think I want to, like you said, you know, like lots of times when you're a heterosexual guy, you can say, um, you know, you're looking forward towards marriage, right? Like, you know, like you, like that's kind of like a, you know, um, a way to like physically stop that, you know, stop that kind of lust and whatnot. Um, but yes, the, the sin in itself is different in a way. And so 
the struggle is going to look a little bit different too. I mean, for every sin that we encounter, you know, unique sin that we encounter, we we encounter a unique struggle. Um, and so, like in like the in the struggle of I okay, let's see, I, I'm a let's like you're a gay guy and or and so you know you you don't have marriage to look forward to, right? And um, so you, you deal with lust still. You deal with lust, you deal with attraction, you deal with all of those things, you know, um, this fight against purity. Um, but I would, I guess I would point back to that, you know, we have to understand where our reward is and so, and what our reward is and um, why we have, we have that victory against that sin, you know, and against that struggle. And it's, yeah, it's really hard um, to, you know, as, you know, as a heterosexual guy, I'm sure, like, to, you know, like this, like, I deal with lust, I deal with, I deal with purity issues, like, yeah, that's hard. But, you know, I get, like you said, you get to get married, but with, inside of like, you know, like a lesbian or a, or a gay guy or whatever, um, like, you have to understand. I think the I think the focus has to be on Christ as the reward ultimately, and like that and that has to be the motivator or the or the um, reason as to why you know. And it's it's a hard thing. You know, we can't we can't sugarcoat you know this and say you know like this struggle is easy. I mean, it wouldn't be called a struggle if it was. So like, um, it's not an easy thing. And it's gonna look different, and it's also gonna look different from person to person, just like anybody's struggle does. And so, um, I think you know when we with that uniqueness of it is still the uniqueness of the sin still has the same cure, right? Our, our sin is unique, but our salvation is the same, and so our and our victory over that sin is the same regardless of the sin, um, the, you know, the applications of it might look a little bit different, but ultimately we have the same victory. Is that, that cleared up? Okay. Okay. Um, hi. Is homosexuality innate or learned? Um, just to elaborate, I know a few people um, like friends of mine who s try to explain to me that they were born into this. Um, so I just want to know like what the Bible says and what you think about that. Like if this sin is something that is born or something learned from society. <laughs> um, yes. So that is, that is the question. Like that seems to be the question a lot of the time. Um, is this innate? Is this biological? Was I born this way, or was I learned, or did I learn this? Was this? Uh, it's it's the nature versus nurture thing, right? And <laughs> so, um, from from what I understand, you know, scientifically, you know, scientifically speaking, sometimes, you know, there there is there is evidence to say that there is probably some kind of predisposition for um, homosexuality, you know? But if, if that is the case, I also, I just have to assert this real quick, is that is not a unique thing in a, in a lot of the struggles that we face, all right? Um, 
you know, lots of people are actually predispositioned to aggression, you know, predisposition, or predisposed, oh, wow, uh, predisposed um, to a, a lot of different genetic factors that kind of shape what we struggle with, all right? Um, our physical struggles, you know, um, uh, why they might be a mix of nature or nurture, doesn't dictate um, the state of our soul, right? So, um, so our soul, we, we have a body, as C.S. Lewis put it, we have a body, we are a soul, right? And so, like, um, and that's really important to understand, like, even if this is genetic predisposition, um, the thing is, is we're, we're predisposed to a lot of things. And, uh, but God ultimately is concerned with the state of our soul. And he's going to give us power. Or he's going to provide us with, with the power to, um, our, I guess, provide us with salvation and make sure our soul is saved. And um, there are, I, I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm dancing around this either. But it is like it's a pretty hard question. And um, but I would say, I would say like, regardless of predisposition or not, the the state of the soul and the state of the sin in question are the same thing. So I think one of the things that, you know, that comes up in that, right, is it's the question basically saying, man, if I'm, like, if, if something, some choices I made in my life or wh whatever, I mean, people, you know, people, people in the church have tried to figure out this, we're like, well, maybe it's, you know, or maybe you didn't have a good dad or something, like, like, people say that kind of stuff, and I just think, like, the idea that like this is something that is nurture and nurture alone, like I think that's just for sure. I don't think that's true, right? I, mean, I think that like this is something that you know. I, I don't know the answer, the final answer to that question. I just think that is this something that certain people are going to struggle with, no matter what their choices have been the rest of their life, no matter how their upbringing was, no matter if they grew up in the church or didn't grow up in the church. Like, is this is something that like some people like? Yes, yes, and I think that. You know, one of the things that uh, makes this question really hard in American Christianity is because we've done a really, really good job of holding up the idea of marriage between a man and a wife as a really great way to find human flourishing, right? And that's one way to flourish as a human being, to, to be a man and to marry a woman and have a family. That is one way to experience human flourishing, but the church has done a really bad job of holding up singleness and celibacy as one way to experience human flourishing. Right, so one of the reasons this is such a problem is because the church has bought this idea that culture has brought forth and said, yes, in order to be a flourishing human being, you need to have a romantic relationship. And if you don't have that, you're not whole, right? And some people even in the church would go back to the Genesis and they'd say, look, Adam on his own, God looked at him and said it wasn't good. So what did he, he created a woman and now they're married, right? And some of you are in that situation right now where you're single and you might be single for a variety of reasons. You might be here and you're single because you're like, I, man, I, I have, I experienced same-sex attraction and I, I'm single because of that. You might be single because you're like, I've been pr you're the person that had that thing in the doubt panel where you're like, I've been praying and God won't give me a boyfriend, right? Like you could be single for a variety of reasons. And the reality is if you, are, if you sit there and you think that the only way I'm going to be whole is if I am able to have a romantic relationship 
where I'm able to experience that kind of intimacy and be able to have a sexual relationship with someone else, I would say that is a cultural idol, not a biblical truth. Who was the second best human being that's ever lived besides Jesus? You know his name? John the Baptist, right? That's what Jesus says, John the Baptist. Greatest person that's ever been born of men. Was John the Baptist married? No, single. Who wrote most of the New Testament? A fantastic saint of God. What's his name? Paul. Married? No, single. Who's the greatest example of a flourishing, full, complete human being in the history of the world? Jesus. Was he married? No. Did he ever have sex? No. In the future, when we go to the new heavens and the new earth, are we married? No. Do we have sex? No. What does that tell us? It tells us that that experience of love, which it is an experience of love, is not the final and fullest experience of love. God is love. And when we finally go to heaven, what's gonna happen is that people who have this kind of sexuality are not gonna be turned heterosexual and then get married. No, actually all of us are gonna love all of us as brothers and sisters, and all of us are gonna be married to Jesus Christ. That changes the way we view singleness. And, and so I think it's an important thing to add to the conversation. So, Elijah, we should shut this down because it's 1020. Um, we're gonna ask one more question, and then after that, you should say your final piece, and then you pray for us. I will do it. Um, okay, so I have a family member who is a woman married to another woman, and she claims to be a Christian, but obviously is a little confused on if it's a sin or not. And my family, I feel like, hasn't done a very good job handling the situation, and we just kind of, well, maybe we, ha I don't know. That's my question is how to handle the situation, because we have invited our family member to all of our events and stuff, but not them as a couple. And that's caused her to have a lot of hate and like resentment towards us and like, oh, like you should be Christian, like loving towards us. But it's hard when we don't want to like show our support of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I, I share that experience. I have a lot of family members that, um, you know, that are, you know, in the same sex um, relationship, they're married, um, or there's, are, and there's ambiguity there, and lots, of, and a couple of them do call themselves Christians, all right? Um, I think, I think what you're asking is more like, you know, how do I, how do you handle that in love and grace as a family, right? And, and so, I think my, I'm, I'm pulling this from my family, um, I think you have to extend that same love. You have to extend the love that you extend to them, to their partner as well. I really do think so. And I think that is, you know, Christ's love on display. And when you, when you exile somebody or when you, um, you know, you, you say you can, but they can't, you know, um, it's not really, it's not, it's not really love. I think, I think um, Jesus, Jesus didn't make a point of excluding many people, right? And so, um, in fact, he included a whole lot of people. And so, I think you have to um, basically just extend that love, invite that other person, you know. And there's a difference between being loving and being affirming, and 
you don't necessarily have to say, okay, well, since we're inviting you, we affirm this lifestyle. Yes, you are a Christian. Yes, this and that. Um, but, you know, love is a powerful tool. And love is the greatest effector in this world. I mean, on display by God, right? And so, like, and so when we, we have to bring, you know, like, as, as God has brought us back into the fold, I think we should try to bring our family back into the fold as well and you know and bring them and let them know that they are loved that they are truly loved strings are not attached and um and that is and but that is different from affirmation and so i think when you say strings are not attached because i love you but also my love is separate from this you know from the objective morality that god has has uh you know, laid out. You know, there, there, there is a separation there in a way. I think, but um, yeah, but I would think basically extend the same love to to the partner that you would the family member. I think that's crucial, and I think, um, and then that's going to open up that dialogue for you to say, how do you feel about? Or how do you justify this? Or you know, how are you talking about your Christianity versus you know what the Bible says about it? Only then I think can you open up that door. When you when you start with, when you start with, okay, well, here's conditions. You know, conditions make people go into their shell, right? And when you say there's not conditions here, come to Thanksgiving, please, and bring her, please, like that is potent and that shows that that shows that Christ's love is on display in that so that's my answer to that all right elijah um what's the last thing you want to say and then would you wrap us up with prayer yeah um so the last thing i want to say is this is that we are all family in christ regardless of our sexuality our sin our race whatever it may be we are family in christ and and that grace <laughs> um, has that has been bestowed upon all of us equally is bestowed upon all of us all right and so when you when uh, when we look at each other we shouldn't see you know these these distinguishing features but we should see you know our greatest common factor which is Christ our you know our our largest commonality Christ and so I just um, I just want to you know I thank you guys for coming in and listening to me ramble on for a long time I know it's tired tiring I'm tired but um, but yeah so I would just say extend extend Christ's love you know treat people with dignity and humanity as we've been treated and you know um, and ultimately um, for those that are in here that are struggling ultimately the victory your victory has been sealed all right and your salvation is held by Christ all right, held by God and never forget that you might struggle you might have days but you are saved and that salvation is not in question all right and for those that don't struggle with this Extend that love. Extend, um, extend the love that has been given to a sinner. You know, you guys, we're all sinners, and we all uh, we all know what sin is, and we that manifests in us some of us differently than others, but it's still sin, and it's still covered by grace. So, um, I'm just gonna pray real quick, and we can get the heck out of here. So, um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness. 
I, I thank you that your love is on display always and that maybe we can be that image bearer for you, God. I, Christ, I thank you for dying on that cross and you died and you took that sin, our sin, the sin of pride, the sin of lust, the sin of disordered sexuality. It is on that cross and it stays there and you have power over that. You, you have taken the keys to death and hell and you have that power and you hold our salvation. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your, your unending faithfulness and that you have pursued us and it is never on our own power that we've come to you, but your power alone, God. I thank you for all the, uh, that you've given us and that you bestow grace on, grace on us lavishly. Um, I thank you um, for just everything, for you being a very, very good God and saving those that are very, very unworthy of being saved. So it's in your name I pray. Amen.